Hello and welcome to the War Studies Podcast. I'm Peter Busch and today we'll bring you the sixth episode of our podcast series called Experts. Today it's on Britain, the Iraq war and legal investigations of war crimes. We talked about uh, this topic with Dr. Thomas Obelhansen, lecturer in law at the University of Ulster after he gave a paper here in London in March 2019. Welcome to Experts, a podcast series produced by students in the Department of War Studies with interviews of academics, bringing you new perspectives on war, conflict and the media. I'm Peter Bush, presenting the hard work and research of my third year students who are taking the module called New Wars, New Media, New Journalism. Today's episode is produced by Clara, Christopher, Stephanie and Mike. Since the establishment of the International Criminal Court in 2002, its complementarity principle has been both criticized and applauded. This debate has recently resurfaced in the light of the ICC's decision in 2014 to reopen its examination into UK military conduct in Iraq. Stephanie and Christopher will now provide a background discussion to the topic of UK complementarity or incomplementarity regarding alleged war crimes in the Iraq war. In May 2014, the International Criminal Court took the decision to reopen its preliminary examination of UK military conduct in Iraq from 2003 to 2008. This was done due to allegations of a series of war crimes undertaken by British troops. It was estimated that approximately 60 cases of unlawful killing took place, while over 170 Iraqis were mistreated under British military custody. Complaints over British war crimes in Iraq had already been made in 2006, when the ICC concluded that there was reasonable basis to believe that crimes within the jurisdiction of the court had been committed, namely willful killing and inhuman treatment. Yet, less than 20 allegations were made and the ICC decided not to take action. In recent years, however, an increased number of cases has emerged leading the ICC to reopen its investigation. The allegations range from minor abuse to torture and deaths. As a result, Britain implemented its own legal measures to address these allegations. This came in the form of the Iraq Historic Allegations Team, IHAT, that was set up by the Ministry of Defence in 2010. In July 2017, IHAT was replaced by the Service Police Legacy Investigations, more commonly known as the SPLI, to investigate the remaining allegations. Through the implementation of these legal measures, the UK has been arguing that its efforts represent a clear demonstration of complementarity in action, therefore claiming that further efforts taken by the ICC to investigate the alleged crimes committed are unnecessary. Yet a recent report by the Human Rights Watch depicts a darker image of the British legal processes, on the ICC's ability to have a say in them and on the issues involved with positive complementarity. The Human Rights Watch highlighted that the legal actions taken by Britain have been piecemeal ad hoc and mostly exclusively driven by the efforts of individual victims, their families and legal representatives. The ICC's main function is to prevent crime, yet its resources and impact is limited given its global mandate. Therefore, with the aim of improving its effectiveness in crime prevention, the ICC encourages and assists states, parties, 
in undertaking national prosecutions of international crimes through what is called positive complementarity. Dr. Thomas Obel Hansen, an expert in international law and a member of the Transitional Justice Institute, provides greater insight into the case. So we're going to talk about um, Britain, the Iraq war to some extent, war crimes, international justice in general, um, and also the media's role in this. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be a shift from the horror or alleged war crimes to the outrage towards maybe lawyers pursuing these allegations. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I think that's absolutely true, that there has been a shift from looking at why is it problematic what happened in Iraq in terms of the treatment of detainees and uh, well also allegations of unlawful killings to a focus on how these legal processes are being conducted uh, um, and I think very much there's been a narrative driven by the Ministry of Defense, the armed forces and uh, politicians and government ministers um, supporting that narrative which goes this is a question basically of left-wing human rights lawyers who are in it for the money and there's nothing about the allegations they you know sort of make up these claims and then they find some iraqis who uh, will support that story and bring cases in uk courts and bring cases to international and regional courts um so I think the Ministry of Defence and, and whoever else supported this narrative have been very efficient in uh, consolidating that, that story of events. And uh, of course, that was made all the easier for them as Phil Shiner, the lead lawyer of public interest lawyers, was uh, convicted for misconduct. And that misconduct um, was a question of paying Iraqi middlemen money to get in touch with victims. So, uh, of course, that's unlawful under UK law. He shouldn't have done so, in, in my personal view. But at the same time, of course, it doesn't mean that the actual allegations are without merit because one lawyer uh, is guilty of misconduct. I mean, you wrote an article about uh, the accountability of the British uh, when it comes to war crimes in, in, in Iraq. Um, and you were critical of British media in this context. Maybe you can also tell us why that was. Um, yeah, I think, you know, tabloid papers, the, the Daily Mail, the, the Telegraph and so forth, have taken a very pro-military view on it. So uh, this narrative that, that I had was, you know, uh, that it shouldn't really be there, that they were just harassing... Uh, the military and going after the brave armed forces was uh, was very much developed in the context of, of those newspapers and um, of course I understand that that I mean it's been frustrating supposedly for members of the armed forces to be subject to multiple investigations but uh, that's really a question of the government should have done a better job in terms of, of finalizing those investigations earlier and um, uh, and that's so much a question of, of left-wing human rights lawyers. So do you think that they, they was effective in maybe damaging the, the reputation uh, of the ICC, for example? I'm not sure how effective they've been in terms of damaging the reputation of the ICC, but I think they've been, they've been quite efficient in terms of intimidating the lawyers and, and the NGOs and, and 
uh, other folks who who work on uh, on this from an accountability perspective and if you speak to some of the lawyers who who've been involved in in bringing cases they do feel very intimidated and i think it it would be fair to say that it has a broader effect that goes beyond simply the situation in iraq that that it's fairly easy to imagine i think that in the future lawyers would be more reluctant to bring cases against the ministry of defense due to the experiences with with iraq when you, when you look at the british system do you, are you reasonably confident that uh, they can um investigate war crimes fairly well the uk of course has a robust legal system it's it's known to be independent and and well functioning in general some concerns have been made around the independence and impartiality of of those bodies and that they focus very much on this from on a case by case basis so there's been lack of attention to systemic and systematic issues within those legal bodies in the UK so that's an issue of concern at least from the perspective of international criminal law where you would require uh under the complementarity regime that attention is actually being paid to those broader systemic and, and systematic issues maybe you can give, give us also a concrete example of what kind of claims are there and what kind of credibility is there or what is the evidence so i had the body set up to investigate domestically at, at the uk level had more than 3000 cases brought to it many of those cases came from public interest lawyers not all of them but many of them um not a single case has been taken to prosecute to prosecution so there's not been a single successful prosecution out of those thousands of cases so far um that to me brings some alarm bells that that you have so many cases is can it really be true that not a single case can be prosecuted of course there are some difficulties in terms of getting evidence this these are crimes that happened reportedly many years ago and these are uh, you know it happened in in a foreign jurisdiction it happened in the context of an armed conflict so there are all those difficulties but it's hard for me to imagine that that not a single case could be prosecuted So but given these uncertainties do you think there's ever going to be a chance to bring a case? I don't think it's impossible that a few low level direct perpetrators might be be prosecuted so there's still I mean there's an ongoing process SPLI the body that took over after I had uh, continues to to look at some cases so it could be I very much doubt that cases would be taken forward that go higher up in the command structure so I think if we are going to see cases being brought in the UK i i strongly suppose it will be a question of of direct perpetrators uh, then of course there's the the issue of how the icc might impact that so we have the icc's preliminary examination if that remains open uh, and if the icc um makes efforts perhaps to see the uk going higher up in the system it's not impossible i suppose i mean Maybe what kind of efforts could they make it could you know there's a legal framework saying that that speaks to complementarity which means that the uk is uh, must conduct these investigations and prosecutions and if it doesn't it would merit the icc going forward with a full investigation so if it worked well this framework of so called positive complementarity could potentially lead to more stuff happening in the uk than what would otherwise happen Do you think it it matters that the ICC itself is maybe internationally from some 
countries, at least under pressure? Yeah, I think it does. I think the ICC is in a difficult situation in terms of uh, having made the shift from focusing mainly on civil wars in Africa and focusing mainly on the rebel leaders uh, allegedly guilt of responsible for crimes committed to now having put the UK, the, U- the US and Israel and, and other major powers under legal scrutiny. Of course, this is, this is very difficult. You're up against some, uh, some serious interest that has a lot of tools at their disposal in terms of undermining that. And do you think they will win in the end or will, will they be strengthened? Mm, good question. Um, I think I will maybe stick to what I have observed so far that that even if no one has been, even if this hasn't really led to criminal accountability to date, then ICC's involvement has had some positive impact in terms of keeping the topic on the agenda, I think. It has proven a a powerful tool in some sense for for NGOs, for human rights lawyers working on this, that you've you got a reference point in that the ICC is conducting this examination. So I think uh, it would likely have been much more difficult had there not been the ICC in a sense. And I think domestic processes in the UK might have been terminated earlier on had it not been for the existence of the ICC. So you, you mentioned where the ICC is maybe successful and where they're doing well. Could they do better when it comes to media relations? Yeah, what I know, the ICC has apparently kept a relatively low profile in terms of not doing press conferences relating to the situation. I know at some point, uh, was it last year, the year before, Ben Suda was over here giving a, uh, in the UK, giving a presentation, but she didn't mention the, the situation in, in Iraq in that context. So supposedly they could have been more proactive uh, but supposedly there could also be certain risks associated with being more proactive okay thanks a lot you're welcome to reflect on dr hansen's insights maya and clara will discuss the wider implication of this case Well, as Dr. Hansen has shown us, the issue of complementarity in reference to the UK war crimes in Iraq is a complex issue, and one that has not been heavily covered in the media. No, I personally do not recall seeing this in the headlines any time recently. In fact, looking back over the articles that have covered this issue, the media themselves seem conflicted. Yeah, there seems to be a shift in the media reporting from focusing on the atrocities being uncovered of the UK's conduct in Iraq to almost an attack on the very lawyers investigating these crimes domestically. I mean, the Telegraph even calls the prosecutions of British soldiers a witch hunt. Why do you think that is? I think it relates back to what Dr. Hansen was saying regarding the convictions of human rights lawyer Phil Shiner when it was revealed that he paid Iraqi middlemen to find witnesses who would testify against British soldiers based on fictitious claims. But we can't disregard all the thousands of allegations based on the misconduct of one lawyer. No, but um, it, this has substantially undermined the efforts of the Iraq historic allegations team and contributed to the media framing of the investigation as a witch hunt against British soldiers. So if the IHAT is being discredited, then shouldn't the ICC take over investigations? The main purpose behind complementarity is to give normal judicial systems a chance to prosecute, but if the states are found unwilling or unable to do so, then the case should go to the ICC. 
Yes, well, and this is the older debate on complementarity. Who decides what constitutes unwilling or unable? And doesn't the court risk losing credibility if states believe that the decisions being made against them on admissibility is incorrect? Mm, that's true. I, I mean, I guess that, the, that this is the risk being faced in this case. If the UK, who, as Dr. Hansen mentioned, has one of the most robust legal systems in the world, is accused of not handling these cases properly, then the court may be seen as overstepping their mandate. Well, I suppose it remains to be seen how this case will unfold and impact the future of the complementarity principle. As discussions surrounding the court's complementarity principle indicate, the ICC is far from perfect and it will undoubtedly be shaped by cases such as the one explored in this podcast. Nevertheless, its stability as a landmark of international relations continues to maintain a degree of accountability for states in an otherwise anarchic world. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Experts. It was produced by Clara, Christopher, Stephanie and Maya. Thanks a lot for listening and do check out the other episodes in this series. Goodbye.